And we're live, people. All right. True. Even more importantly, what I say is recorded. So, really, that's why people are tuning in. Sorry. First your bubble there. Okay. You know, it's kind of weird. Like, I print the Bible passages in my sermon, but I feel like as a pastor, you should bring a Bible with you. But the Bible's in, in here, so don't, don't worry, just because I'm setting it over there. Okay, so, uh, oh yes, to get started, I'm going to need, let's see here, get Mr. Torsi, you might help me move this around the front here for just a minute. And I'm going to have my lovely wife, this angel, come on up here. It's okay, Dan. It's okay. All right, so we are going to begin today with a quick game of Pictionary, okay? All right, so she already knows the words. We've got three things that you're trying to guess. When you guess it, she'll write it above the picture, and we'll move on, okay? Yep. All right, I'm going to say go. No practice. Yeah. 
Shine. We got shine. All right. Give her a round of applause. Okay, well, we actually have just gotten our three points for today's sermon, okay? Work out, don't whine, and shine, okay? That's what we're looking at for today. So we'll be in Philippians chapter 2, that's right. Paul, you know, he had chains, he was probably just lifting the chains. No, which was probably not. Alright, so go ahead and open to Philippians chapter 2. Dan, would you mind helping me? We're just going to shift it a little bit here so we can not cover up the. I want to keep those where you can see them. Okay, so how many of you like to work out? Yeah? How many of you feel quite the opposite of all the other people raising their hand? Okay, all right, so we got both out here. Well, today we're going to be talking about working out. Um, it's maybe a different kind of working out than you're thinking of, though. So let's go ahead and start. Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed... All right, first of all, think of that. The Philippian church, I mean, if you've read some of the other letters of Paul, he doesn't say this to all his churches, like, as you have always obeyed. So the Philippian church, they're kind of unique. They're a good, they, they seem to have obeyed a lot of what Paul's told them. So as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Why is Paul absent? Where is he? He's in prison, He's in prison okay. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I'm going to stop right there, okay? So the first thing we want to ask is, what are we talking about here? Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, when I read that to you, does that sound maybe a little bit off to anybody? Does that raise a question for anybody? Does anybody hear that and think that doesn't quite sound like maybe some other verses that you've read? Paul's saying, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Any, any questions that that raises for you? Yeah? That makes sense. Yeah, so we've got two problems that I see. The second problem, what you touched on, is this fear and trembling part, right? Like, yeah, we're supposed to fear God, but I mean, fear and trembling, like, I don't really feel like, am I supposed to really be afraid of God? Okay, good. Anybody know what maybe the other issue this might cause? Work out your salvation. Think about that. Work out your salvation. Does that sound like all the things you've learned about how, what it means to be saved? How are we saved? Jesus. Jesus, yeah. By grace. By grace, right? Yeah, this is important. By grace. Does this sound a little bit weird? Work out your salvation if we're saved by grace? What does work out mean? Work out means you're doing something, right? What does grace mean? You were saved when you didn't do anything. So how does this, how does this picture work? You know, Paul's saying, work out your salvation. I thought we were saved by grace. We didn't do anything. Jesus did something. So why would Paul say, work out your salvation? Well, this is the first thing I want to talk about. What does it mean to work out your salvation? We know that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and not through works. I mean, that's so much of Romans. Paul is saying, you don't lean on what you do. What you do doesn't save you. So why is Paul flip-flopping here and saying, work out your salvation? 
Well, what he's not saying is that you're saved by things that you do. Okay? What he's saying is saved people should act a certain way. Saved people should act a certain way. They should do certain things to show that they are saved. And so the first thing we want to realize is that when Paul says, work out your salvation, he's saying, because you are saved, you should live your life a certain way. Now, how many of you have pictured the Christian life as, God saved me and now I'm just like, I, I just, that's it, it's done. Or is there actually something that you need to do? Have you thought it's just done or do you actually do stuff now? These are bad questions, I can tell, because of the, the response is so overwhelming. Um, well, let me just continue. That was a bad question. Let's keep going. How should we work out our salvation? It says with fear and trembling, okay? So fear and trembling. Oftentimes when we picture fear and trembling, we don't picture loving God and fear and trembling. But if we think about the Bible, Proverbs, you know, it says the beginning of wisdom is what? What's the beginning of wisdom in Proverbs? The fear of the Lord, Lord, right? So we know that there is this element of fear there. So what are we talking about when it says to do it with fear and trembling? Well, fear and trembling should come into our life when we understand how weak we are and how strong temptations are. Do you guys know how weak you are and how strong temptation is? Hopefully. I mean, because we've probably given in to temptation at some point, if you're breathing and are a human, okay? You've given in to temptation, so you know that we're weak. We know that we are quick to sin. You know, as the song says, we're prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love, okay? We should see this in ourselves, and we should know that we serve a God who is holy, and who demands us to act a certain way. And when we put those two together, it's not that difficult of an equation. We're weak and sinful. God is holy and powerful, and yet he says we should serve him. There should be an element of fear and trembling in that. It shouldn't just be like whenever we think of God, it's all warm and fuzzy feelings. Okay? And it's not wrong to say that we don't always have warm and fuzzy feelings. Because there is an element of God is holy and we are not. And we should realize that we need help. We need help. That's the big idea here. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Live the saved life, but do it knowing that you're weak and you need help. And what's so awesome about this passage is that Paul doesn't stop here. He has another verse coming. And that verse says... For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Okay, so if we can split this into two parts, Paul just said, work out your salvation. And some of us, we think about working out our salvation like we think about working out with exercise. And we're like, ugh, this is going to be hard. This doesn't, I'll have to wake up early. It's going to take work, okay? But then Paul immediately says, but God is at work in you, okay? So while you're working out, God is working in. Have you ever thought, for those of you who maybe aren't that excited about working out, how nice it would be, how much better it would be if you actually enjoyed working out? I mean, have you ever heard of this thing called a runner's high? It's this mythical thing. I don't think it really exists. I've never gotten it. But it's like runners say that like 
around mile like six, seven, or eight, they just like it's like adrenaline boost. It's like they can like take on the world. They just keep going. They don't feel tired. There's no side ache. They're just cruising. Can you imagine if you felt like that when you worked out? You'd be like, yeah, I'll work out all the time. You know, if you just got that all the time. But we don't. We usually want to quit early and go eat donuts in front of the television, right? That's what we want to do. We're like, I'd rather eat the donuts with the TV than do the running, okay? But just imagine. Just imagine if there was something when it came to working out your salvation, to obeying God. Some of us are like, obedience to God, and we're like, ugh, that's hard. But what if there was something inside of you that made you want to obey God, and it was actually a delight, and it was the thing that pleased you the most. Well, we can have this according to this verse, that because God is at work in you, he's at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So when it says he's in you to work in your will, what is your will? It's your desires. It's that center of you that tells you what you want to do. It's that part of you that says, go get a donut, or go turn on the TV, or stop doing homework so you can check Facebook. You guys know that one because that one usually wins out over the other ones, right? But what if that thing inside you, that will, said, serve God, live righteously, read his word, pray, meditate on the Bible. And it was telling you this because it's what you wanted to do. And then when it came to work, to work out your salvation, all you'd have to do is exactly what you wanted to do. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't the Christian life be so great if that's how it really was? And that's exactly what Paul is telling us. Paul is telling us that we have a God who hasn't just called us to live a certain way, but he's called us to live a certain way, and then he's come inside us by his Holy Spirit to help change our desires so that we actually want to live the way that he's called us to live. Have you ever felt guilty for not living up to God's standards? I know I have. I struggle with guilt a lot, okay? And it's something that God has really done a big work in me over the years is to, to see this guilt as not something that's necessarily from him, okay? I don't think God wants us to live like lives where we're just like, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry, we, I didn't do that right, I didn't do that right, or we're just not living up to things, okay? I think God wants us to see that he can work in us so that we can do exactly what he calls us to do. And I want you to think just for a minute how this should affect the way that we pray. Okay? Most of us, when we think about praying, we think, well, I can't pray because I sinned. I, you know, I, I've screwed up so many times. Why would God even listen to me? It's like God doesn't know you screwed up. God doesn't know that you sinned. God doesn't know that when he came in the form of Jesus to die on the cross that you were a sinner. That's why he came, because you're a sinner. It's nothing new to him that you're a sinner. And so what God wants you to do is he wants you to ask him for new desires so that you don't want to sin anymore, so that you don't want the things that lead you away from him. So how should this affect the way we pray? Well, we shouldn't just say, God, please help me not to do this. Please help me not to do this. Please help me not to do this. We should pray the positive side. Say, God, help me to want to read your word. I don't want to do it in the morning. I want to keep sleeping. Help me to want to pray. Help me to want to stand out from my friends and my school. Help that to be something that actually is something that I desire to do. And what's awesome is that God loves to answer that prayer. 
God loves to answer the prayer that takes your desires and changes them so that you want what he wants. So the first command we have is work out, right? We've got our little guy here struggling. Work out, okay? Um, Work out your salvation, live out your faith, and know that God is at work in you, and he loves to help you do exactly what he's called you to do. Well, the next one that Paul says is, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, living over in Jerusalem, we knew this missionary named Dick Brogdon, okay? And he's like, big deal missionary. He grew up in Africa. He moved back there to be a missionary. He was a missionary kid in Africa, became a missionary in Africa. He is the head missionary of an organization over all of like, he's leading the North Africa and Middle East movement missions to Muslims. And he goes around training people. He has every story under the sun that you could imagine of being arrested and persecuted and all sorts of stuff. Awesome guy. Um, When he speaks in his sermons, it's just like, it's one of those things where he just speaks deadpan, like just straightforward words, and it like cuts you to the core as you listen to him. You can't help but not just weep when you listen to him. Well, he was living in Sudan with uh, one of our friends, and Sudan, as we've heard from our friends, is not the best environment, right? So it's like 120 degrees on a regular basis in the summers. They would go in their van turn on the air conditioning because it was the only way they could like just cool down and get a little bit of a relief. It's hot, it's dusty, they had civil war going on, so people are fighting across town. And he's raising up his two boys in this environment. And he had three family rules. And the family rules were this. Love Jesus, don't quit, and don't whine. I mean, you think about living in Africa in 120 degree heat on a regular basis with a civil war going around you, and your dad says, don't whine. That's a family rule. No whining allowed. Well, Paul actually agrees with that family rule. Paul says, don't whine. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. So let's look at what Paul means by that. What is grumbling? Grumbling is this like under your breath discontentment. Now, how many of you have experience with grumbling? How many of you have grumbled grumbled this morning? Yeah, maybe a little bit here and there, okay? Like some of us, we were like, darn sun rose again at 6.30 in the morning, coming in my window and I'm trying to sleep, you know? And we grumble that the sun came up and can't believe I have to go to church this morning. My parents make me go, you know? Or, I can't believe I had to take a shower this morning. I smelled just fine. You know, we just grumble, 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 grumble. And the truth is, it's not just this morning. We, as humans, we grumble about everything, don't we? Right? We find a reason to grumble about everything. You know, there's like, um, my friends have a smartphone. Why don't I have a smartphone? My parents don't love me. They have a smartphone, you know. And then they give you a smartphone for your birthday. And my friends have a better smartphone. They had to give me an Android. And all my friends have iPhones. You know, and so we find reasons to grumble and grumble and grumble, right? And when our parents ask us, hey, welcome back. You know, how was your day today? day-to-day. Get in the car, and the teacher had a pop quiz, and a locker wouldn't open, and I dropped my books on my foot. Right? We're, we're really good at grumbling. And so Paul says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Disputing is arguing with one another. Okay? It's turning our grumbling and our complaints upon someone else. Right? So we're not just discontent with the way things are, but we're actually arguing with other people about the things that make us discontent. 
So you argue with our parents about their rules. We argue with our friends that they annoy you. They did something that bothered you. We argue with our teachers. You know, it didn't give me a good enough grade on my test. Granted, I didn't study at all or open the book, but you really need to improve my grade because my parents are going to kill me when they see what I got. Right? That's kind of like we're just discontent and we're disputing with one another. And the problem with these sins, the reason where it's so hard for us to kick these sins is because they're so acceptable in our world, aren't they? Like, if you were to tell someone, like, you really shouldn't grumble or complain, they'd be like, get off your high horse, you know? Like, we all grumble and complain, don't we? But God has a different perspective. God says, do all things without grumbling or complaining. So why would he say this? I mean, there's a lot of reasons why we shouldn't grumble and complain. First thing is, think about what it says about God. Think about what you're saying on a daily basis, a moment-by-moment basis about God. When you grumble about having to wake up every morning. Think about the fact that you get to wake up this morning, that he actually woke you up this morning and you still had life in you and breath in you, and that when you swung your legs over the edge of the bed that they still worked and you stood up. Think about what you're saying about God when we complain about every little detail in our days. We're saying God isn't good, God doesn't love me, God doesn't really care enough about me because my life doesn't have all this stuff, all these things that I want to have. Is that really the God we serve? And think about what it tells other people. When you gamble and complain, they think that that's how you feel about God and that that's the God that you're teaching them exists. Okay, so there's a lot of reasons not to gamble and complain, but Paul's reason is because when, because everyone grumbles and complains, it's evangelism when you don't grumble and complain. Okay, so what Paul's going to go on to say in the next point is this. When you stop grumbling and complaining, it's because everyone else is doing it around you that you actually spread the gospel by not grumbling or complaining. Okay, so I want you to think for a minute before I move on to the next point. Think for a moment. What did you do this week that may have shown the people around you that you are a Christian? Not even that you're a Christian. That you're just different. That you're different than the world around you. Okay. Some of us might think, did anybody go to the CU at the poll this Wednesday, this past Wednesday? That happened at some schools, okay, yeah. All right, so that might be one way that you stood out from the crowd. Okay, think about a conversation you had, something you said to a friend, or maybe it's something you didn't say. Paul says that we, the way we, one of the ways that we evangelize is we do all things without grumbling or complaining. So let's go to the next slide here. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, and let's read why. Paul says, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. So let's just stop right there. Paul is saying, when you don't grumble and complain, you appear as blameless and innocent to everybody around you in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. This is like, Batman in the midst of Gotham City. This is like you're in this world of darkness and crookedness and twistedness. And if you don't think you are, you have to realize that you really are. That the world around us, whether you know we have obvious sin, we have obvious crookedness and twistedness, or it's like we got drug dealers and we've got prostitutes and we've got things that are like, oh yeah, that's that's bad. But then we have very tame crookedness and twistedness. Where we have people in the world around us constantly who are saying, 
you know what, everybody just needs to do their best. You do your best and I'll do my best and I'm, I'm sure God will honor that. Or you just believe what you want to believe and I'll just believe what I want to believe and don't tell me, you know, that there's only one way to heaven. Those are two kinds of crookedness and twistedness. That's crooked and twisted. And those people might even attend church. A church, I don't know which one, not this one, hopefully. <laughs> I mean, actually, hopefully this one. That was a bad thing to say. Hopefully they come to this church so that they learn the truth because that's not the truth. That's what I want to say, okay? Um, but these people, they, they do socially acceptable things, right? They do the right stuff. They look good. They're upstanding citizens. They mow their lawns. They're nice to their neighbors, okay? But they're still crooked and twisted because they don't think Jesus is the only way. And so we live in a crooked and twisted generation. And what Paul is saying is, don't grumble and complain, and you'll stand out. And let's see how you'll stand out. He says, among whom you shine as lights in the world. What's Paul saying? Paul is saying that if you resolve to not complain and grumble, you will stand out against the world that you live in. We had a field trip in Jerusalem where we would go to what was called the Bell Caves. And it was really cool because in between Jerusalem and the beach, there's this kind of foothills, hilly area. And the way that the land is, is there's this really hard rock at the top of the soil. But once you dug about two feet through that hard rock, you got to this soft limestone. And the limestone was soft. It was easy to, to carve out. And so what people would do is they'd dig a hole, you know, about this big around, and then they would start carving out all of the stone, the limestone underneath, but they would carve it out in the shape of like a bell, if you can picture like what a bell shape is, okay? And they would use the bricks they carved out, and they would build the houses with their bricks, okay? And what was cool is as they built their house, they actually dug their basement. So it was like you get like a two-for-one deal. You're digging your basement and building your house all at the same time. Well, later generations would come in and they would use these caves, these basements, as trash pits, okay? And they would throw all their ancient, you know, trash in there, which wasn't candy wrappers. It was like bones and it was pottery and it was old scrolls and things like that. And so there's thousands of these caves just in the foothills beneath Jerusalem. And so one of the field trips that we got to do is that we would take the kids down to these caves and they would get to dig and find treasure. I mean, it was like a treasure hunting field trip and it was awesome. And one of the things they did is that when they would dig, they would fill up buckets with dirt, and then we would do this big, like, human chain, and we would pass the buckets out of the caves, out of the caves, and we'd pile them all outside the caves, and then we'd get sifters. And you have one person on one side, one person on the other side, third person would dump the bucket on the sifter, and what do you do? You shake it back and forth, shake it back and forth, and all the dirt falls out of the sifter, and you're left with pottery and bones and artifacts and things that are these shiny treasures that were down in the caves. And what Paul is saying is that this is how life should be for us. That when life shakes you up, when things get tough, when things get uncomfortable, when life is shaking, everyone else is going to grumble and complain. And they're like that dirt that falls through that sifter. And when everybody else is grumbling and complaining, those who don't will shine. They'll stand out against the backdrop and everybody else will be able to see that they are different. And so the big idea for today is this. Do you shine in your school? Do you shine in your family? Do you shine in, you know, out on the streets? Do you shine in the gym when you go to work out? The way we shine is by not grumbling or disputing. Some of us have things that we said, 
well, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to have sex before marriage. And these are good things. You shouldn't do these things. But there's a lot of good, upstanding people who don't believe in Jesus who also do those things. If you really want to shine, if you really want to stand out, Paul's saying grumbling and complaining. If you don't do those, that's what will cause you to shine. That's what will preach Christ. And what I want you to realize today is that it's not always what you do that shows your friends and shows the people at your school that you're a follower of Jesus. Sometimes it's what you don't do. And if we don't grumble and complain, we will be a light. We will shine to those around us, just as Paul had encouraged the Philippians to shine to those around them. And so I'm going to take a minute to pray for us today as we just consider um, how we can do this in the week to come. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us this morning as we have received your word to now apply it. I pray that you would want us to work out our salvation, that we would want what you want. I pray that you'd be at work in our desires, changing our hearts, so that we don't want to sin, but that we want to honor and glorify you, and that our desire to glorify you and our desire to serve you would be much stronger than our desire to sin and would win out in those battles of temptation. And when they don't, And when we fall and when we fail, I pray that you would give us the audacity to believe what your word says and to come to you again and to ask you to do a work in our will, to be at work in our desires and change them so that we will in the future want what you want. And I pray that you would give us the grace to shine to the world around us, to shine to our parents, to shine to our brothers and sisters, to shine to our cousins and our friends our teachers, our deans, our administrators, so that when they see us not grumble and not complain, even when we've been wronged, even when we feel like things are stacked against us, that we would shine and you would give us the opportunity through that to be on display for you, Lord Jesus, and to bring glory to you and to show people that there is a difference for those who follow you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the time that we've had in your word today. I pray that you would bless Pastor Worley as he teaches your word now and that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to understand what we have to learn in the main service. Thank you for the friendships and the relationships in this room. Continue to grow them in ways that are Christ-centered and godly. May we uphold each other in prayer and encourage one another. I pray that no one in this group would go um, unmet, that people wouldn't be able to come in here and slip out at the end not having been encouraged or spoken to, that we would love one another and that we would create a culture of loving one another. In Jesus' name, amen.